You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at The Athletic Wisconsin. And joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Madden. Frank, how you doing, buddy? Um, you know, uh, anytime we have to recap two games and the second one is a loss, it always takes some of the some of the joy out of podcasting, obviously. Bucks losing Sunday night here as we record uh, to the San Antonio Spurs, 121-114. Uh Yesterday, they did win uh, against the Charlotte Hornets at home, um, and I think we knew that going into San Antonio on a weird back-to-back with uh, the Spurs having... The Spurs have three days rest or two days rest. They had a lot of rest. They, they <laughs> um, hadn't played since Wednesday. to the Bucks and uh, daylight, yeah, and daylight savings time as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, definitely schedule-wise, this was, um, this was definitely like... I don't... I, I can't remember seeing... Uh, you know, ESPN always has that... Um, like monthly um, schedule losses, like which which games are going to be the hardest schedule wise? I I, I don't I haven't looked at that that up recently. I imagine this might have been a candidate given the Bucks travel and uh, and this, the differential with the Spurs being well rested. So on the one hand, I'm you know not surprised that the Bucks would lose this game. Spurs have been great at home and playing well of late, but um, still a frustrating game to lose. Um, you know we have high standards of the Bucks now. <laughs> And, um, you know, they was it that frustrating. I, I mean, losing is frustrating. So, okay. Okay. I mean, it, you know, and it's one of those things like, you know, even on a second night of a back to back, I mean, there's going to be things that you can, you know, I, you always can look at the game and be like, ah, oh, just this had happened differently or whatever. Right. And yeah. I think, I think to some extent, I mean, the Spurs score 32 mid range points. So this is like, you know, like I think one of those games that you just sort of say like, all right, well, okay. You know, Marco Bellinelli like was shooting, burying threes while like horizontal you know i mean to some extent there was like a little bit of a like all right well that's just not happening type aspect to this game um but you know also i mean just kind of look at it i mean i'm sure we'll talk about it like the kind of the bucks closed quarters really poorly and you know like end of the first quarter they had a big lead brogdon really struggled tonight we talked about the other day how he's been really consistent he might have had his worst game of the season. Five points. Yeah, we really shouldn't have been saying stuff like that because <laughs> uh, Brogdon managed to have his worst game of the season on Sunday, and I think Middleton might Chris have had one of his worst games of the season on Saturday. Yeah. It's like, oh, man, we, we really yeah. uh, jinxed him on that one. Yeah, yeah. Brogdon was, was really bad today, two out of ten. Um, he, you know, and and <laughs> let's just say this, there will be a lot of talk, or there has been a lot of talk on Buck's Twitter about Pau Gasol getting – uh, a lot of run and the Bucks getting completely obliterated during that run today. Um, well, our prediction that Powell would not play Saturday and play Sunday instead was true. That's that's pretty much the only silver again, lining. Right. <laughs> that's pretty much the only silver lining is that we at least predicted that right. But um, he did hit a three pointer tonight, but overall minus twenty in fifteen minutes. Um, you know, I mean the the Spurs played their game. 
And ironically, that game, a lot of it, you know, the mid-range jump shooting, obviously something the Bucks are happy to concede. Um, but they kind of got what they wanted and, and did well with it. Aldridge, DeRozan kind of did their things. And the Bucks, you know, Giannis basically hit his averages. Bledsoe was very efficient scoring. Middleton was, you know, subpar Middleton, but still, you know, solid. I mean, he wasn't like terrible. Um, but, you know, Bledsoe, or sorry, Brogdon was bad. Um, and, you know, with the exception of of Pat Connaughton suddenly hitting all his three-pointers, which was a nice uh, change of pace, uh, you know, there was nobody else that kind of really kind of filled, you know, kind of closed the gap. And, you know, ultimately this is a game they lost on defense. Um, they gave up 120 defensive rating, 113 offensive rating. So I think they scored enough points, which a lot of times on the second night of back-to-back, you just kind of look for the team to not be able to hit shots. And they actually hit some shots tonight. Um, but Spurs, just five turnovers. And, you know, again, they were just, they were really effective doing what they do, which again is things that the Bucks maybe don't mind much of the time with, with in terms of shot chart wise. But, um, you know, ultimately it's just one of those games that, um, you know, Bucks could have won. They had you know that a lead and you know, had double digit leads in both the first and second quarters at various points, but um, you know, call it call it the rest issue. That's that probably was part of it. Um, just execution, other stuff that you know. Again, it's um, maybe maybe a different night you do differently, but uh, ultimately, obviously, not uh, not the most satisfying of, of of starts to this road trip. Yeah, when when the Spurs took that, what I'm trying to think exactly where the timeout was um, at the start of the third quarter, but. Uh, the Spurs take that 67-64 lead on a LaMarcus Aldridge uh, three-pointer, and Bud takes a timeout with 8.41 left in the third quarter. Like At that point, I'm just like, yeah, it's over. Like if like, You could just kind of see the, the starters' legs were you know, a little bit heavier there, and like, I think, I mean, I, maybe there was some hope that it would be DJ Wilson the second time around, but you know, after what Bud had said about DJ Wilson on Saturday night, which we can talk about here in a little bit, it, it felt it felt pretty unlikely that he would go in a different direction, and thus it was like, oh, <coughs> it was like, oh, well, you know, if the starters can't get a nice cushion here, like it's only gonna get worse at the end of the third quarter when Powell comes in, uh, just because he 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 didn't have anything for any of the Spurs uh, in this game. So it was just like, man, when, when the starters couldn't kind of hold it and uh, keep the lead, you, you just had that feeling that it was only going to get worse from there. And, you know, like they did end up fighting back and, uh, you know, Mirtich hit a couple big shots, but then that end of the third quarter just kind of happened. And uh, obviously the Spurs gave themselves a little lead. It could have been even worse if they hit a three, if Bellinelli hits, I think maybe his yeah. openest, yeah. his most open look of the night uh, at the end of the, at the end of the third quarter and said he misses it. So it was only a four point deficit going into the fourth, but uh, you know, pretty quickly there in the fourth quarter, the Spurs kind of took control and just kind of piled on and, it just felt like, you know, at that point, uh, you, obviously the starting lineup for the Bucks is full of just guys that are way too competitive to, you know, think that they weren't going to see the floor again. But, you know, you start to think through like, uh, you know, should you go back to the starters? Do you need to 
you, should you try to win this one? Do you just concede and, you know, eat it? And, um, you know, it, it just continued to get ugly and uglier. But yeah, th- that was the only reason why before when I asked, like, was the loss actually frustrating? Because like in my head, it was just like once the second half started, it just looked like, you know, kind of heavy legs and there just wasn't a whole lot of good going on. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Second night of a back to back got in late, like this, this probably isn't going to happen. And, you know, like I will say um, things I, I kind of tire of on Twitter are like uh, people are like, I mean, I can't believe the Bucks didn't care about this game. And it's like, okay, well, let's not say that like they did care about this game. And I think if you know anything about Giannis, like he's a lunatic and he cares about every game and he always wants to win. And like, he would not accept that out of his teammates. So like that is one thing I want to make very clear. Like when, when I think, I think I probably am a little bit more chill on losses on a second game of a back-to-back than you might be. Um, but like when I'm doing that, like this isn't me saying like, oh, they should just lose these games or, uh, you know, like whatever, that's fine. Um, but, you know, I, I do think it is a real thing. Like there's a reason why we talk about second games of a back-to-back so often and uh, across, you know, every team in the league. Like it, it is a thing that does affect you. Um, and I just thought, you know, coming out of that second half, like it just wasn't going to happen. So um, I thought that was interesting. And then, I mean, we might as well talk about Powell and DJ Wilson a little bit. Um, I, I just wanted to grab the exact quote from Bud uh, on Saturday night, just so I can make sure I, I quote this a hundred percent right. But Essentially, on Saturday night before the game, we were kind of asking for updates on George Hill and on Sterling Brown. Uh, It sounds like George Hill might be back at some point during this three-game road trip. Um, Sterling Brown, it does not sound the same way. They had to shut him down from shooting for a little while because of his wrist injury, uh, or his right right wrist injury. Um, So they had to shut him down there for a little bit. But, you know, I asked about DJ Wilson, and, you know, obviously DJ's been on the outside looking in. In the past, you've asked about, or you've talked about how important his defensive versatility can be, and obviously he had, you know, a really strong stretch of games. So, you know, how does this kind of work for him? Is there, you know, any need to get him minutes uh, to get him playoff ready? And Bud said, "I mean, you can't play everybody." It's just a harsh reality of the league. Our team, most good teams. I think the great thing for us is DJ has a great body of work. He's done a lot of things really well. He shot the ball well. He's defended, like, really at a high level, unique in what he can do defensively. He works. He plays pickup ball. So I think he's going to be ready in and when he gets a chance. But you can't squeeze all these guys in like a shoehorn. It just doesn't work. And I... I I will say I can understand that that is a very frustrating answer for Bucks fans to hear, especially when Pau Gasol puts up a minus 25 in a game. Or I shouldn't say that. The Bucks put up a minus 25 while Pau Gasol is on the floor. Um, or just wait, it was only a minus 20 by the end. He got a little help in garbage time. <laughs> that Tony um, Snell buzzer beating but, three definitely helped. Yeah. It did. Uh, so he, he ends up being a minus 20. So like, I can understand why it'd be frustrating to hear that, but um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if I'm totally surprised. Uh, you know, I, I think as we talked about this last week, a little bit, it, it did kind of feel like, you know, there may be some of uh, 
you know, like some thought from Bud of leaning on his veterans. And obviously we've seen that with their Sonny Lee Salvo. We've seen it with uh, Nikola Mirotic. And, um, you know, we we see it with, with Pau here. And, um, you know... I don't. I don't know if it's going to change. Like I thought, Saturday was a good sign when uh, Pau didn't end up playing against the Hornets, and you know I thought that was that was pretty good. Like <laughs> I didn't think he had any place in that game, and he picked up a DNP, and it was like, okay, you know, maybe maybe that's going to be a larger sign. But then it did kind of happen where obviously Ersan got the night off. Uh, he picks up a DNP and instead Pau ends up getting a bunch of minutes. But, um, you know, I don't know if this, I don't want to say if it changes. I don't know that I see Pau being a, a consistent member of the rotation. Um, but I don't also know if I think DJ Wilson's going to get any minutes anytime soon. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, Ursula Leosova takes the DNP tonight. He got kind of a rest night after um, obviously playing last night against the Hornets. Um, I think, you know, I mean, in the playoffs, there's not going to be room to play five big guys, right? I mean, or and I'm not even including DJ Wilson, right? Like you can't play Meritich Gasol and Ilyasova all off the bench in the same game, and in, in you know, unless it's like a blowout or something like that to me at least i, I don't i don't I just don't think that's going to happen a lot now we saw powell play a little bit against the pacers so that's like you know i guess um that's that's bud trying to do that but then you start to wade into some really extended rotations right because like dante Connaughton, snell played tonight they've been playing of late you know the last few games with dante coming back so that's like three you know guard slash wings plus three big guys. I mean, suddenly you're at 11 man rotation. I mean, that, that's obviously not going to happen. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, on the one hand, like, I guess you could argue, like if ever you were going to try to steal some minutes for Powell, you know, maybe it's against a team that obviously he knows their playbook and maybe you can do it against a bench unit or something like that. Clearly it didn't work. Clearly it didn't work. Um, and I think, I think a big part of the story is just Brogdon not being able to get anything going offensively. Um, you know, you look at, I mean, I think a really interesting stat is, um, Brogdon lineups without Giannis, Bledsoe, or Middleton. So these like basically Brogdon plus you know bench lineups. Uh, this season, um, they are basically like even in those in those lineups. Now, I don't know why. I mean, there's 420 possessions of that in non-garbage time via cleaning the glass. That seems like a lot to me. Like I don't know. I, I'm I'm kind of surprised how often I see. Giannis, Chris, and Bledsoe on the bench together. Like I, I don't know. I, I feel like you'd probably want to always have it's at least. It's two kind of how they end first and third quarters. And the right? quarters, yeah. Um, intuitively, it seems like you'd want to try to keep at least two of those guys on the court together. You know, most of the time. And what's interesting is that a lot of these Brogdon lineups with um, with no, you know, none of those other three starters also don't include Brook Lopez either. So tons of like literally Brogdon plus bench type lineups, and so. I think again, like, you know, you're leaning on Malcolm Brogdon to be the creator and, you know, the mere fact that they're basically an even team with that configuration to me is kind of a win normally, right? Like if you can just stay even when, you know, your, your three best players are on the bench or, you know, especially maybe even four, right? If you include Brooke in there as well, um, that's a positive thing, but then the flip side is, well, why are all those guys on the bench at the same time in the first place? Um, 
And so I, I haven't looked at the lineups to see if, you know, all of those lineups that got crushed excluded all three of all three or four of those guys as, as I'm, you know, sort of looking at the broader trend we've seen. Um, but that's kind of a question to me. And obviously it's, you know, if guys are all starting together, like, you know, then you have to get, you have to really kind of, um, you know, you have to kind of take guys off in a way and bring them back in in order to make sure that your staggering works. But, um, yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't know. It, it's something to watch. It hasn't really hurt the bucks obviously so far this season. I think tonight, um, you know, relying, you know, relying on Brogdon and when he has a bad night, obviously, um, it, it's very obvious that it's not going to work. And Brogdon was minus twenty seven, minus twenty seven tonight. He was the the game worst uh, in in the net rating game, and um, obviously that just sort of points to to his struggles um, with that kind of second unit with Powell. And, and again, not that he had a ton of help there, um, but you know, again, like that's part of what made has made Malcolm really really valuable is that he has been able to kind of keep those second units afloat. Um, in addition to obviously being a nice complimentary piece when. Uh, when he's playing with, with other, you know, with the other starters. So, um, so yeah, it's, you know, again, um, I, I think when you look at other kind of guys that you might've gotten a spark from, you know, Miritich, 10 points on eight shots. Okay. You know, he was plus five. Uh, DiVincenzo's three point shooting uh, began to regress again. I think he was like four out of nine, I think in those first uh, couple games uh, Thursday and Saturday, he looked really good um, shooting the ball of late, his energy on Saturday. We, I, we obviously want to talk about that as well. The energy on Saturday was amazing. Um, I thought that might've been like the turning point in the game against Charlotte when he came in and, you know, there was that possession where he was just diving all over the floor, getting rebounds and getting loose, you know, tied up some tied up uh, Cody was it Cody Zeller or, or Kemba or somebody for, uh, for a jump ball. Um, but tonight, over four from three, one out of five overall. Um, you know, again, like wasn't able to provide kind of that same spark, and you know he's not going to do that every night. Um, so it was really Pat Connaughton who was kind of the obvious guy who did that. Um, obviously, a struggle shooting the ball, but four out of four from three tonight, uh, fourteen points. Obviously, he's a guy who has struggled with with the three ball for quite some time. And yeah, so I, I think it's just going to be really interesting to watch. I mean, I, I you know you hope Hill can get back soon, just because he's obviously a guy that had been playing you know, really regular minutes and have been, you know, as, as important as anybody in, uh, you know, kind of that guard slash wing rotation coming off the bench. So um, I think, you know, again, with, with kind of the way things were with losing Hill, losing Brown, and then adding those, those big guys to the rotation, I think it's going to be interesting to see, you know, that has sort of, I think, understandably pushed the bucks towards more of these like jumbo lineups, more big guys coming off the bench than maybe you might otherwise expect, or at least getting more run than you might expect. Um, so it will be interesting to see, like, does it kind of go back the other direction once you get some of that depth back um, with Hill and, and Brown in particular. So to, to be continued, obviously getting healthy sooner rather than later is, is good. Cause I'm sure Bud would much like, would definitely like to have kind of the guys that he's going to take into the playoffs available over the last few weeks of the season to kind of tighten up rotations. Yeah. I think the, so the Brogdon stuff is interesting. Like, okay. So um, I thought early in the year, there was like kind of, to me, some problems with thinking like, oh yeah, you can do a, you can do a Brogdon, uh, a, a Brogdon solo kind of rotation where it's just like, okay, this is, you know, kind of how uh, you want to get it done. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm really, once George Hill came, I think it was less of a problem because then it wasn't like, if you think about tonight, it was like what George Hill with, or excuse me, it was Malcolm Brogdon with like Pat Connaughton and Dante DiVincenzo. Like, uh, 
there's probably not enough playmaking on yeah. the floor. Like it, that's it's probably just not good enough. Like, uh, and you know, I think if you have George Hill out there, okay, like you kind of have two playmakers who you know aren't maybe going to be the best playmakers if they're the lead playmakers of a starting lineup, but against bench units, like I think you can kind of survive. And obviously, we've talked again and again about George Hill and how solid he's been defensively. And, you know, I think if you're going to struggle offensively, like at least you got to be able to shut down teams defensively. And, you know, I think that's why um, it'll – that's why I think what you bring up there is most interesting in regards to Hill because, to me, that's kind of when everything changes. Like when Hill comes back – how does Bud put together rotations? Because at that point, like you should be, if you're, you know, trying to figure out which way the balance should be struck, whether you go big or little, like you have to come back to going smaller again when George Hill is back because he can play point guard some, he can play shooting guard some, like he can just help out in all of those ways where you don't have to go to these, you know, I don't want to say comical, but in some ways they kind of are like just, ridiculous lineups where like Middleton is your point guard and then you go in with four or three power forwards and Brooke Lopez like that's that's not a good look like it's just not whether or not the numbers bear it out so I think Hill coming back makes things less experimental and uh, gives you a little bit more of the consistency you might have had so um, I, I totally agree that once he comes back I I really would like to see kind of how they're going to try to get all of this figured out and how they're going to try to, you know, make this all work because as they've traded for more and more bigs, like they just, you know, it it makes it a little bit more awkward. Um, So we'll have to kind of watch and see how that progresses. Uh, Anything else from the Spurs game or do you want to move on to the Horns game? Uh, I mean, you know, we, because Giannis just delivered his usual 27, 13 and six, we don't really talk about him. I thought, um, the mere fact that he is played now in two straight back-to-backs and, you know, no, obviously, especially in that Utah game, no evidence of him, you know, feeling any sort of ill effects from the knee soreness that obviously we've been concerned about um, is a positive. Obviously, if he, you know, later this week has to miss two games because of knee soreness, then we'll look back and say, oh man, why did he play in those back-to-backs? Um, but obviously on some level, I mean, you're just kind of trusting the Bucks training staff and Giannis and coaches to kind of play things the way that makes sense in the big picture. Um, so, you know, the fact that he plays tonight hopefully is a sign that he is feeling good. And, um, you know, <laughs> the chase down block on DeRozan is, I mean, that's just Giannis, right? I mean, literally laying out everything on the line um, and making a spectacular play. That's kind of like all things about Giannis in a nutshell in a lot of ways. <laughs> and uh, probably the most memorable play he had tonight um yep. so uh again um you know again we we so easy to gloss over Giannis. i wanted to make sure we we mentioned that before we switch switch over to the hornets game yeah i mean it is the uh, we we have mentioned before that it, that is kind of what we struggle with most on this podcast is talking a lot about Giannis, and you know i just thought throughout this game like uh, when I mentioned that during that third quarter, it felt like everyone's legs were gone. Uh, that's the same quarter that Giannis just jumped over the top of, uh, I don't even know, was it Jakob Pudel? Uh I think it might have been, uh, and just put one on his head. And a bat. <laughs> and a bat. Um, 
but it was just like I thought the starter's legs were gone, and he does that, and it's just like he he kind of does all of that, and you know looks spectacular throughout all of this, and you know just continues to to fight through and make plays, and it's it's honestly just sort of ridiculous that he's he's always able to do that and and find a way even on. Even on nights where you know there's excuses or reasons why why it shouldn't happen that way, so um, well done, Frank. Way to save us there as we almost uh, blew by that one. All right, by now the, one other one other thing we saw. I'm trying to think. Um, you know that everybody's familiar with that action the Bucks run to basically set him a screen in the paint to get him freed up for a post up as he kind of comes across. Mm-hmm. And tonight, early, I think it was in the first quarter, first or second quarter. Um, I think it was Bledsoe as they were kind of doing that, you know, typically Giannis's defender will be, get really preoccupied with trying to get around, around the screener. Usually, you know, it's a smaller guy who's setting a screen for Giannis to come across. And I think it was Lamar, it might've been LaMarcus Aldridge and Marcus Aldridge basically, you know, like yeah. is focusing completely on trying to get around um, and kind of goes towards the the baseline. And then Bledsoe just eye, blocks eye contact. Giannis just stays on the far side of the lane and they just throw an alley-oop that connects for, for a dunk. Um, Kind of interesting. I don't recall them kind of doing that out of that play, even though they run that play like, you know, 20 times a game or whatever. <laughs> whatever. Um, so I thought that was an interesting wrinkle. And again, I don't know if that's something they decided, you know, oh, hey, teams are now so like cheating to try to beat you across the, you know, to the other side, to the to the strong side. They did um, it. What if you just hang back a split second? I as I say, they did it. I think it was hmm, sometime in the last month. And it was like, really poorly read like the the defender had like fought through to the other side really hard and Yas was just like standing there by himself and he like kind of pointed to Bledsoe to like put it up and Bledsoe did and like I think it ended up working but it was like awkward and, and kind of just not perfect and then uh tonight on that play, it was the same way. Like Yana Sam go across and he just with his right hand just pointed to the sky real quick and Bledsoe was totally aware for uh totally aware and just threw the ILUP right away. So I, I think that's I I think it's gotta be a read between the two of them, but just the fact that, you know, they they have that in their back pocket and you know, I think maybe Bledsoe's a little bit more ready for it now than than he had been previously. Uh you know, I thought uh, obviously that's I mean, if you can get a Giannis dunk, uh, you should do that. That that's a good counter. Um, so we'll see if they can, you know, continue to to do that going forward. Um, all right, Bucks Hornets. Uh, you know, I, I think there's a couple things that stand out in this one. Um, during the first half of this game, Bucks win one thirty one one fourteen. Um, during the first half of this game, Bucks were kind of. I don't know if struggling is the right word, but it was close. And I had someone tweet me like, oh, do you still want to be super dismissive of their first round opponent? And I quote tweeted it back and said, yes. And I, I to me, every Bucks hornets game just comes down to when the Bucks want to start switching. Wow. Like, that's it. Like, whenever they want to do it, that's when they're going to win. Because the Hornets are not good enough. Like they, they just don't have enough talent. And they especially don't have enough talent on the second game of a back to back. Uh, you know, where they have MKG out, they have Tony Parker out. Like it's just not gonna happen. And in this one, the Bucks decided to start doing it in the third quarter. They did it with Brooke Lopez on the floor. And 
the Hornets continued to play uh, bigs or if they went a little bit smaller, guys that couldn't cover Brooke Lopez and Brooke Lopez uh, threw it back two years, three years. I'm not really 100% sure just how far back we have to go to when he was one of the most dominant post big men in the league. And uh, he scored 15 in the third quarter, or maybe his 17 by the end of it, um, in the third quarter and didn't hit a three. Uh, it was all just in the paint, just posting up, just going to work. And, you know, I, I thought that was, that was to me kind of where the game swung, but it is, it is ultimately just kind of what I expected to happen. Like as the Bucks took over in that third quarter and went on that little run, I, I tweeted out something pretty much to that effect where it's just like, okay, well. The Bucks decided that the time where they wanted to stop messing around with the Hornets and start switching was the third quarter. Typically, they wait to the fourth quarter, but tonight it was the third quarter. Um, and to me, that was kind of where it all swung. Yeah, I think I think they may have even started switching or in at some point in the second quarter. Um, I, I'm trying to think because I thought. Um, Watching on TV, Patrick St. Andrews was the halftime interview, and I think he may have alluded to to it. But either way, like obviously, you know, we've seen them at times, including in the first game of the season, where they've been only willing to start switching against the Hornets in particular, kind of late in the game. Um, but sort of in, as the season has progressed, they've they've done it earlier and earlier. I think in that game where they were getting blown out by Charlotte, and then he came back. I think it was in the maybe in the third quarter that they sort of like started switching liberally. And then we saw it in the last game as well in Milwaukee. Um, so it's kind of funny. I view Charlotte as sort of like a critical team. When you, when you look back on like the history, like, or sorry, on, not the history, but when you look back like across this season, obviously like, you know, you think about like trends and different things the Bucks have done. And, you know, like if you were, if you were a scout and you were, you know, going to be the Bucks first round playoff opponent, I feel like, if you didn't if you didn't really look at the hornets tape closely you're doing yourself a disservice because um i think a huge chunk of the bucks total switching time has come against uh the hornets and we saw it again obviously on on friday and as you said it felt like the hornets were kind of getting where they wanted to be um and then when they started switching then then things got a lot more difficult or you know kind of threw them off and um interestingly they oh yeah you know what Okay, they definitely started switching in the second quarter because at the start of the third, they went back to dropping and they started <laughs> giving up points again. And then they switched back to mm-hmm. switching again at some point in the third. So I think that was the the overall progression is they went to switching some at some point in the second quarter and then they tried to go back to, to the third quarter to, to kind of standard defense or sort of the standard um, strategy start of the third. And Marcus even had a comment about like, well, if you go, if you like, you basically just switch, start switching again, um, then you don't have that counter later in the game or something, which I'm not sure I totally, totally buy. Um, but anyway, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think it was definitely an interesting um, kind of, again, the Hornets have been interesting to watch kind of all season, just because um, they have obviously given the Bucks some challenges when, when the Bucks have not switched. And um, so I think that was definitely kind of an interesting, you know, piece to, to watch. And, you know, when we look back on this season and what the Bucks are going to have to do in the playoffs, I think these Hornets games have been really important um, to, to kind of, you know, just work on some of those things on the fly. And, you know, as you said, I thought it was definitely throwback from Lopez because, you know, both Giannis and Brooke go seven out of 11 from the field, 10 out of 10 from three for both uh, Giannis, 26, Brooke, 25. From the free throw line. Um, 
yeah, 10 for 10 from the foul line from both of them. Um, so they had sort of identical field goal and free throw nights. Um, and yeah, Brooke was awesome. Um, I mean, it's funny watching him work in the post cause he's so deliberate. Um, like there's nothing rushed about anything he does. Um, but he's so big and so long that he can do that <laughs> and he gets away with it. Yep. Uh, and so that was, that was definitely interesting to watch. And, uh, you know, Frank Kaminsky hurt them. Um, in this game, he had 16 points on just six or sorry, eight shots, four out of five from three. Uh, he was one of those guys that, you know, they were, they were getting burned on by, by sort of not switching and, you know, again, kind of playing their, their typical defense that gives up, you know, pick and pop threes. So it was particularly good. Cause I think a, a decent chunk of what Brooke did came with Kaminsky at center. And, you know, I mean, he pretty much worked anybody who was trying to defend him, but, um, <laughs> I thought that was, that was important and it'll be interesting to see. I mean, um, you know, in the playoffs, like obviously Brooke has been good enough. He's been great offensively and defensively. He's become so good that I think even if you play a team that tries to play small against you, I, I kind of wonder now, like does seeing kind of what we saw in th- against Charlotte, like does that maybe change the way the Bucks want to play a little bit? Like, do they now say, are they a little more willing to just say, okay, you know what? Let's, let's try to play Brooke, Brooke mismatches. If another team tries to go small against us. I don't know. I mean, intuitively, it's always seemed like you could try that. Um, but obviously, it's it's not really what the Bucks kind of have done all year. It's not really what the Bucks are about. So, I, again, I don't know. I'm not saying that's going to be like suddenly the, the secret weapon for the Bucks is Brooke Lopez post-ups. But as you said, I mean, it's uh, it's good to know he can still do that and not surprising. Um, but he was great. And Brogdon was good. So we, we need to point that out, considering we were just talking about how bad he was um, on Sunday. Um, and I thought Miritich gave them a really nice boost, too. I mean, five out of seven from three. Um, you know, he kind of did exactly what you want uh, Nikola Miritich to do, just, you know, being a flamethrower. You know, once he once he gets the ball, he's just always putting pressure on you um, with his shooting. And, um, of course, Dante, as we kind of alluded to earlier, Dante, I thought, gave them an awesome shot in the arm, especially I think it was in that second quarter. Yeah. You know, I think they were, they were losing by what, like as many as 13 points or something like that. Yeah. Um, it was uh, it was getting a little bit hairy and, and the crowd, you know, it's talking about crowd, right? No energy really from the box, no energy from the crowd. And it was like DiVincenzo just, I mean. He got a standing out Was after, huge in turning it around. Like, he, there was a sequence yeah. where he had. Like, <laughs> Without scoring a point, right? <laughs> yeah. No, it was uh, a, one of those crazy Dante fly around like taps. And then that yeah. kept it alive. Then he got another offense rebound. And then the ball was loose on the ground and he dove on it uh, and got a jump ball. And again, no points were scored. Like n- nothing, like nothing that you you would have seen at the end of the game uh happened but he legitimately got a standing go at Pfizer form just for the effort on that possession and like that it's tough to say he didn't deserve it yeah and again i think you know dante's done that and and conaton has done that at times as well i mean people like you know if you wonder like why does conaton play why has he been able to kind of maintain rotation minutes um i think it's again it's just like the two of them are interesting um i mean we you kind of joke because they're both like you know white guys who have like really high verts right <laughs> right but um pat defense pat yeah. on the boards dante on the boards just like kind of some of the energies plays they make i mean you always think of like energy big men right um but the bucks like they're two like kind of obvious energy guys especially with dj not playing right now um 
are Dante and Pat. It's like energy littles, I guess. Um, I don't know if that's a thing, but uh, for the Bucks, like those guys have, I think, done a nice job in general and just in terms of like using their athleticism, actually kind of like channeling it into um, especially, you know, practical applications, especially on the boards and, you know, just being able to kind of make plays, make hustle plays. And, um, you know, I think especially uh, in this game, it was it was obvious that they needed something and you know the again like at a time when the team was feeling pretty lifeless um you know dante hit uh some hit three out of six threes as well which is huge um but that combination being able to actually make some shots and uh and obviously play with kind of the energy that we've been used to seeing from him all year i think that's that's big and you know an interesting question obviously is is how much do we see of dante once sterling and george hill come back i don't know if we'll see him at all it once the team is at full strength i just you know, not sure there's going to be room, but uh, we obviously have known since preseason that Mike Budenholzer likes Dante a lot. And so I, I think it'll be a, a good competition. Obviously, it's a nice luxury to have that you've got guys on the bench that, you know, you know, can come in and, and give you a shot in the arm. And again, obviously with DJ Wilson, the theme has been, we want to see him more. <laughs> we wish he'd be playing more. Um, I don't know if we're going to be in the same place with, with Dante and Pat Connaughton. Probably not. Um, cause I think the Bucks have, you know, there's, there's not necessarily like a, an Ilyasova or, or Pau Gasol <laughs> that'll be getting minutes in the kind of backcourt slash wing that will, will, uh, will be the t- target of our scorn or something. But, um, but obviously like having depth and, you know, again, like if you lose some guy in the next month or, you know, if somebody goes down with an injury in the playoffs, obviously just having like loads of wings and, and stuff that you can throw out there and feel like, you know, they can give you something on a night to night basis. Obviously that's, that's a major positive. I was going to say with Lopez, just trying to round out that conversation before moving on to Dante. Um, I'll be interested to see if that's what they go to when teams go small, because I feel like often when teams go small, they'll get, they'll get a mismatch that they like with Giannis, but Giannis, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think how you describe. I you, I think you described Lopez's game as yeah. deliberate, um, slow. Like, like he just kind of uses his length and size, and it's not in like a I'm gonna bull you over kind of way. It's just like I'm going to slowly drive to the basket, and if you can stop me, that's great. But ultimately, you're likely too small, and I will finish over the top of you. And that is not prone to charges. That is not prone to, you know, people flopping and saying, okay, like, we're going to get this offensive fall on you, like, as opposed to Giannis, who, like, you know, is, has a violent game where he's, he's going to probably put a shoulder into you. And, uh, you know, I think at times we've seen him when he gets someone small on him. And you mentioned the Hornets is this kind of litmus test uh, of sorts. Uh, you know, when, he tried to do it against the Hornets in the first game. Like he picked up a couple charges and he didn't seem totally comfortable with it. So I'm curious if this will be, uh, especially with the way that Lopez defended. And, you know, I had tweeted out that possession where he got switched on to Jeremy Lamb and defended him for about 10 seconds uh, and ultimately forced a bad shot. Like, you know, I do wonder if when teams go small, if they'll say, screw it, we're going to leave Brooke on the floor and, Brooks going to post up and go to work and we're going to work off of that. And if it gets us some threes, that's great. If it gets him a bucket, that's great as well. Um, I just wonder if that'll be, you know, one of the ways that they, they try to counter it as their, you know, confidence grows in Brooke and his ability uh, to stay in front of, of smaller guys. So uh, that'll be something to watch there. Speaking of Dante and Pat and, 
You know, I, I just think with either of those guys, the the exact same sentence is true. And that sentence is they are incredibly valuable when their shots fall. And when their shots don't fall, they're, you know, probably sort of valuable. Um, like I, I think their value is a little bit tougher to discern uh, when they aren't hitting shots. But, you know, like it, on a night, Dante goes three of six from three unbelievably valuable like that night his value will be undeniable and it'll be really difficult to fight it because you know he is doing the stuff that he's doing on the offensive class he's uh able to fly around and help out with some rebounds he's able to keep the offense moving he's able to you know pick up a steal like he's able to do all those things and you know i feel like uh we kind of found what the exact opposite of that is with Pat, like with as much as he struggled with his shot this season, it's like, okay, you do have to kind of think through, is he actually valuable when he's out there, like kind of hustling and and doing some of the small things when he's not hitting his shot? Like, I do think that question certainly exists, but uh, you know, I thought it was a really strong couple of games from uh, Dante before San Antonio where he missed a couple shots, but uh, you know, that's always going to kind of, I think be, be the balance you have to strike. And um, yeah, I, I think in all of these games, I think essentially the only thing I'm curious about going forward and like, I wouldn't say worried about it, um, I don't really have concern about it. It's just me wondering how the rotation shakes out because Dante now being in the mix and Pat Connaughton being in the mix for the last little while, uh, while Sterling is out, you know, raises some more questions on the wing that I don't think were necessarily there before, uh, George Hill and Sterling Brown got hurt. And now uh, you're going to add George Hill into the mix probably sometime, uh, you know, maybe on Tuesday or maybe it'll wait until Friday against Miami. Like you're going to add George Hill to the mix. And then you're going to ask those questions. Like, how does he fit in? Who, whose minutes does he take? How does this all work? And then, you know, at some point Sterling Brown is going to get back from his wrist injury and you're going to ask those same questions. And in the meantime, you're going to be trying to figure out if Dante should be playing instead of Pat Connaughton. And like, it's just going to kind of, to me, be somewhat endless. Like it's just going to keep going and going and going. And by the end of the year, you hope you're in a spot where everyone is healthy, everyone's ready to go. And, you know, for the final five or so games of the year, you can have, something somewhat consistent, but then also are you going to be resting guys? Will you have the best record in the league clinch? Like I think that's where all of this kind of gets interesting because for the first 50 or so games of the season, this Bucks team was incredibly healthy. And now this is their, you know, kind of first stretch of having some, some poor health, but then also having, uh, you know, some new acquisitions. Like I do think there, there is something to figure out here. Uh, if you're the bucks and you are trying to, you know, get ready for a playoff push. And I think we'll just have to see how it all goes. Agreed. Um, anything else next up new Orleans on Tuesday? Um, at least I get a day of rest. Hopefully, uh, the French quarter will not claim them. The bucks as a victim. Uh, because let's be honest, what is this? Three straight road losses? I'm not. <laughs> I'm not down with that. Time to get back on the winning winning foot on the road, right? Yeah. No, I think it it would be about time. So we'll see if they can do that on Tuesday. So that's gonna be it for us for this weekend. Uh, hopefully, you your week gets off to a little bit better start than the 
end of the Bucks weekend here. Uh, so we'll see if that is what happens for all of you. So happy Monday to all of you as you try to fight through uh, the Bucks losing on Sunday night. For Frank Madden, I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.